Our public reading of Holy Scripture this morning is Psalm 40, so I would invite you to turn there with me and follow along as I read. It'll be found on page 549 of your pew Bibles, uh, Psalm 40, and I'll be reading once again as we did last week the whole psalm, and Neil will be preaching particularly from verses 4 and 5. To the choir master, a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord Yahweh. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord Yahweh. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord Yahweh his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord Yahweh, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord Yahweh. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord Yahweh, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord Yahweh, to deliver me. O Lord Yahweh, make haste to help me. Let those who put to shame and disappointed altogether, who seek to snatch away my life, Let those be turned back and brought to to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame, who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord Yahweh. As for me, I am poor and needy. But the Lord, Adonai, takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, our Father, as Neil comes to speak your word, give us the ability by your spirit to hear your word. And we ask you, to apply your word to our lives, 
to our ministries, to our fellowship, to our worship, to every aspect of the Christian life. Help us, Lord, to follow you and no other. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Mark. Oops, got ahead of myself. I also have a uh, Scottish accent story that relates to uh, what Nigel was talking about. I'd also like to echo that if we could clo clone Dave Burl, we'd all be good, and the rest of his family as well. Uh, we're grateful for their service amongst us for all these years. Uh, Dave's a lovely man, has served this church very, very well, uh, and we're thankful for him. Uh, my wife Kate and I moved into a house in Fort Richmond about uh, 25 years ago, and Kate and I have had this habit of having nicknames for each other. Our current nickname for each other is Charlie. Uh, it's from Charlie Bit My Finger. I'm not sure if you remember that viral video uh, where this one little brother bites his brother's finger. Charlie, that really hurt. So Kate and I call each other Charlie, and we've been doing that for about 10 years, and our kids absolutely hate it. They want, they want this to stop. They've said moratorium on Charlie. Well, when we moved into the house in Fort Richmond, Jimmy was the term we used. And we kind of went back and forth between Irish and Scottish, I apologize. But hey, Jimmy, you know, pass me that thing, won't you, Jimmy? So I'm out in the backyard. Hey, Jimmy, would you throw me the, 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 the rake? I need the rake over here. And I hear my neighbor go, do you want my rake? <laughs> and I thought he's playing the game. How'd you know the game? I'll give you a rake. I'll do whatever you want. This big Scottish man, his name was Neil Crawford. And I'm Neil Creighton, and my father's name was Crawford Creighton, and so it was this crazy juxtaposition. He was actually Scottish, uh, lovely man. Unfortunately, he's just recently passed this summer. But it was this hilarious little interface between our crazy Jimmy accents and Neil really there. Uh, anyway, so uh, lovely to have you here and for the work that you and, and your people are doing. Uh, my kids went to Pioneer Camp, and uh, I also served as one of the nurses there in Pioneer Camp for a week, actually two weeks. And I can echo your statements. Um, it, it did remind me that the poor kids all were on antidepressants and mood stabilizers, and the rich kids weren't. And it reminded me of the social determinants of health that we all have to acknowledge. And that world is getting much more complicated. So it's into this world I bring you my trust God. He has your past, your present, and your future. This idea of vulnerability, a friend of mine used to constantly say, God wants us vulnerable. He wants us to feel vulnerable. And I, you know, why do you want, why does God want us to feel vulnerable all the time? And it's been very easy to be vulnerable lately. You talked about many of the things that we've gone through with COVID, with fear of illness and social upheaval and business closures and financial stressors and they're closing the churches and all the crazy interfighting as you've talked about that we're seeing. We live in a complicated time and we can easily feel vulnerable right now. This is not the first time the world has been vulnerable. I think you'd acknowledge that. And another friend of mine says, you know, God is not in heaven biting his fingernails right now. We may be. And it's into that vulnerability that we want to speak today with this, with this message. In 1942, at the depth of World War II, England was not doing very well, obviously feeling very vulnerable during the war. And they turned to a recently converted Oxford Don, 
C.S. Lewis, I think one of the most brilliant writers of our time, to conduct some inspirational radio broadcasts. And these broadcasts became his book, Mere Christianity. So if you're evaluating the Christian faith, I'd encourage you to read that book. It's very, very interestingly written by a man uh, who was clearly, clearly brilliant. In this series of talks, uh, C.S. Lewis was trying to encourage the people, trying to inspire them. And he also spoke about the Christian faith. In his third talk in the series, he spoke about morality, sexual morality, forgiveness, faith, and the great sin. And he kind of built up to this great sin. And obviously the great sin was going to be fascism. Or the great sin was going to be Nazism. Or the great sin was going to be war itself. But Lewis answered the question with clarity. I will read from his book. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. According to the Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. I'll say that again. The utmost evil is pride. I love this. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. And I think C.S. Lewis was a man who liked to drink, who liked to smoke now and then, and maybe was a bit of a scoundrel in his day. Um, and he came to faith and profoundly changed the faith of the rest of us. He went on to say, it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Even atheism is not the anti-God place. Pride is. Do you struggle with pride? Lewis stated that there was a simple test to see whether you struggle with pride. The more you see it in others, the more you dislike it. How do you feel when you've been snubbed, unnoticed, or patronized, or shown up by someone else? If you are proud, proud then you get very upset when someone else wins. Lewis says that pride is the chief cause of misery in every nation, in every family, since the world began. He says while other vices such as drunkenness sometimes bring people together for a good time, pride never does. It always drives people apart. This sense of asymmetry Pride not only makes people enemies with each other, it makes people enemies of God. Again, C.S. Lewis speaks with clarity on this issue. In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. 
it's easy for us to have this cartoon-like image of the God we worship. But this idea of station, that God is superior and we kneel at his feet. C.S. Lewis goes on, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. That's a strong statement. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see anything that is above you. Better? Higher? Bruce is doing hieroglyphics. And that's 20% for up? No, bidding. Is that better now? A little bit better? Okay, thank you. So pride in self is essentially the opposite of trust in God. Pride in self is essentially the opposite of trust in God. Pride in self is really trust in oneself. And the gospel teaches that that's exactly the opposite of the Christian station. We're taught that we're to deny ourselves, not be proud of ourselves. The Christian ethos teaches that we, to be great, have to be the servant of all, that the first will be last, that if you really want to be one of the good people, you need to serve the least, the lost, the last, the homeless, the the people in difficult circumstances, the people in jail. This brings us back to our passage for today. Mark has just read for us this, and I'll I'll focus on on verses 4 and 5 today, but I just wanted to give us a a bit of a brief uh, review of what Mark preached about last week, the first three verses of Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. And Mark last week talked about that rock being Jesus. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would de- be too many to declare. So let's break, break down some of these words introduced to us in Psalm, 4 and 5, in Psalm 40, verses 4 and 5. Blessed. Blessed are those who put their trust in God. Blessed are those who trust God. The term blessed has a very spiritual sound to it, obviously. We always, people have tattoos that say blessed on them. Uh, famous athletes, how you doing? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Right? Uh, we see that all the time. Blessed is really a term that means happy. It's a deep mind, heart, inner kind of confidence in God. It's satisfaction from God. It's the word that's used in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those. Happy are those. So this word blessed, when it talks about being a person who trusts God, I'm happy. 
I'm happy. I'm satisfied in my heart and my mind through God. I'm happy. 60% of the kids at camp are on antidepressants. Hmm. Let's look at that together maybe a little bit more deeply. How about the word trust? How about this word trust? So Merriam-Webster says the following. Trust can be defined as an assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. One in which confidence is placed. It also talks about dependence on something in the future. Or something like hope, another kind of synonym for trust. Do you trust God? How does that look for you? I was talking to a friend in, in one of my accountability groups, and I said, so how's your relationship with God going? And he said, you know, we're aware of each other. I thought that was a really honest answer by a really honest guy. But it wasn't like, man, I am trusting this God. And then add in vulnerability. And the challenge of trusting God comes. How do I trust God when I'm feeling vulnerable? Do you have an assured reliance on God? Or are you just kind of simply aware of each other right now? An assured reliance on God. Our passage states that we're, we're blessed when we trust God. Happy when we trust God. An inner satisfaction when we trust God. Going back to Merriam-Webster, do we trust his character? What's his character like? Do we have any kind of concept of God being holy? How does that make you feel? Do we trust his ability? Do we acknowledge that he made the universe? Or do we think it's an accident? Are we aware of his strength? Does his strength have any limits? How does that brush up against your current walk? Are you searching for God's strength in your life right now? Is he the way, the truth, and the life? Is he the truth? To have trust, think that you acknowledge that, that something is true. Can you be confident in God? I think it's safe to say everybody wants to be happy. Pretty reasonable assumption for most folks. The question is how? And our psalm today says you are blessed, you are happy if you trust in God. Trust in God is not one and done. I think it is the first step in the conversion process. But I have to trust him every day. Circumstances will change every day. And they may mount and threaten me, make me feel very vulnerable. I have to trust him every day. The ultimate test will come when you're on your deathbed. That will be the ultimate test. I kind of, I'm a hypochondriac and I'm always dying tomorrow. And I often think about, will I, will I have that Man, I'm looking forward to dying, like some of our, our older saints recently have done. I've had enough here. I want to see Jesus. Or will I be afraid? I can't trust. 
We're all going to face it. We know it's coming. Let's prepare ourselves for that, right? This sense, he has my back. I can trust him. David wants you to say, I know you love me, God. You will be faithful to me in my struggle. You will provide. And what does he say? Lift me out of the mire and put me on a rock. Beautiful image. Beautiful image. Sometimes we just feel stuck in the mud. It's easy to feel like that. Make him your trust. So I have some questions for you. Are you happy? Do you trust God? Are you happy? Do you trust God? Can you be depressed and happy? I think you can. I think you can. Can you be sad and happy? It's interesting, right? The Bible doesn't talk much about the difficulties of being sad as being sin. It talks about anxiety as being sin. I told you about that a couple of, couple of weeks ago. So if the, if the answer to the first question is no, maybe the answer to the second question is also no. And then if we can flip that, that I can answer the trust question, yes, I hope that the answer to the first question will also flip for you. So the Psalms prescription for blessing is fairly binary here. Trust God and not the proud or false gods. Trust God, not the proud or false gods. We've already examined this sin of pride in some of the reflections from C.S. Lewis. Let's just look at now trust in, in others and false gods. The blessing of trusting in God is contrasted with focusing on the proud. In Christianity Today in November of 2020, Derek Wishwami uh, wrote on this idea of false gods or false idols. And he asked this question, do you have any false gods? Are you flirting with any false gods? And he reflected on John Calvin, and John Calvin said famously, that the heart is a veritable factory of idols. The reviewer says, I used to think this was typically dark, hyperbolic, Calvinist misanthropy. The older I get, though, the more I concede it to be a sober statement of fact. Idols are our specialty. We churn them out at a furious rate, an extravagant assortment of false gods, deities, and spirits that we've cooked up over the centuries. Zeus, Odin, Marduk, some real classics. Our, capa our capacity to lie to ourselves about divinity is impressive and extends as far and wide as creation itself. How about today? We probably aren't very much at risk of worshiping a golden calf, something like that. But we might give too much of our attention to YouTube personalities, or religious leaders, social media people, politicians, our stuff, our time, our accomplishments, ourselves. So are you flirting with any false gods? And if so, are they making you happy? 
Are you flirting with any false gods? And if so, are they making you happy? So this is the, the present tense that David deals with in the psalm. The current emotional set of the follower. And after this discussion of the present tense, he moves into a discussion and a consideration of the past and the future. He reflects on the many wonders God has done in the past as a justification for our trust in him. We can trust God because of what he's done. And we can reflect on that. David naturally will reflect on the many mercies given to the Jewish people documented in the Old Testament history. And you can think of the many miracles that got the people of Israel to where they were. But many people consider this psalm to be a prophetic psalm, a psalm that talks about the son of David, Jesus, as well as David himself. And for the Christian, we can reflect on the good deeds that Jesus has done. Kate and I have been watching this kind of wonderful broadcast called The Chosen. And uh, it's a crowdfunded uh, video series that up to about a billion views. So like one-eighth of the, the world has watched this, The Chosen, three seasons right now. It's crowdfunded. And uh, the one thing that Kate and I have really enjoyed about this the most has been the human portrayal of Jesus intermixed with his divinity. One thing it seems clear from this, this, uh, this program is that Jesus loved to heal people. He just loved to heal people. So I'd like to show you a video clip that just evaluates this. It's from season three, episode six, and it's a beautiful story of healing. So maybe Dan's is gonna drop the lights down and the guys are gonna get things going. It's fine, Shkru. I'm grateful you brought Barnaby here for the healing of his leg. No, I brought her. She's... she's the one who... I know Barnaby. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Please. She won't ask. Shula. Are you afraid to ask for healing? Yes. Do you have faith that I can heal you? Of course. And why haven't you asked? You, you have so much to do, Rabbi. So many people need you more. I'm... I'm used to this. Shula, look at me. Look at you? I can't see you anyway. I want to see your face. You and Barnaby have been so kind and lovely from the first time I met you. And your faith has been so strong, even though you haven't seen a miracle. You redeemed my friend. Mary's miracle was so clear to me, I didn't need sight. I know. You see better than most in this region. But since your friend Barnaby here won't leave me alone,
What? Did it work? It's been so long. I'm afraid to look. It's time, Shula. <laughs> Did it? I'm fine. This is about you. This is about her. Some other time, maybe. We'll see. You're a true friend. Well now, friends. We must all get home. Barnaby, she will still need you to walk her home. It's getting late. Shalom, shalom. Shalom, shalom. shalom. Thank you. I'll take this from you. I don't think you'll need it anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> Wait a minute. Here it is. My, my leg? Did you? Of course you did, Barnaby. Who else? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome, Barnaby. Now, get Shula to her home. You can do it faster than normal tonight, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no Pharisees around for this one. Still, just as fine. Great. Thanks for making that work, Dan and Theo. I think you can imagine the inspiring nature of being those people of being healed. Um, it kind of, it makes me want to get a bit choked up as I think about it. The, the first words of the blind woman's, I'm not sure if you caught it, was she looked at her friend Barnaby and she said, you lied about how handsome you were, which I thought was very cute. I don't think I give enough credit to the healing of Jesus, the wondrous acts that Psalm 40 talks about in terms of our, Jesus our Lord. Math, listen to Matthew 4.23. Speaking of Jesus, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, 
and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. This series shows people lining up to a little kiosk to get healed. And we think it was just one blind man here and, and one possessed person over here. Matthew 4 says everybody. Everybody was healed. Now we can't claim that in the church today. And boy, I wish we could. We seem to be people who are still stuck in illness. But when he was here, when he was with those people, he healed them. Those are wondrous acts, and they should call us to trust in Jesus. That's the past. So David talks about our present situation and where we can be happy by trusting in God and not in the proud and not in false gods that we so often embrace. He observes that God is a God of wonders, and we can reflect on Jesus' many miracles, especially the healing miracles as we've seen here. He finishes this, sem- this section of Psalm 40 talking about our future. So we can ask this question, can I see God acting in my past? Can I see God acting in my future? Do you think God has any future plans for you? Does God have any future plans for you? Amen, Brother Atish. My friend Atish here is nodding. Yes. I think this is for every one of the believers. He's got future plans. He has your future as well as he's demonstrated his strength in the past. I don't think there's any better passage than Ephesians 2 to walk us into this. And I'm going to use the paraphrase from the message just because it it creates a beautiful word picture of Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Do you think God has any plans for you? We're going to, the first word I want you to listen for is mired, like David talked about being mired and elevated on the rock. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us were doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made them alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Talk about going from worst to first. Now God has us where he wants us with all the time in the world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust in him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging about it and what we've done the whole thing ourselves. 
No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us, future tense, to do work we had better be doing. He has plans for your future. Henry Blackaby has a series called Experiencing God. We've studied it at the church here periodically. And there's a Henry Blackaby caution here. And the Henry Blackaby caution is, don't ask what God's plan is for me. Ask what God's plan is. And you'll find out what his plan is for you. God wants us to be happy trusting in him. He wants us to consider his incomparable and innumerable actions on our behalf over time and for those of our brothers and sisters in times past. He wants us to know that he has good and holy work for us to do in the future. We're supposed to walk into it. God wants us to be happy. David was a man in trouble, mired in the muck, seeing difficult situations. He still trusted God. God heard the cry of that warrior stuck in the mud, desperate, in trouble, but still happy, still trusting. So we have this kind of two extremes, living on our own, emotionally vulnerable. Like probably no time in, in recent memory. We regret the past, screw it up over and over and over again. Oh my goodness, I'm a gong show. How can I ever be forgiven for my past? And then anxiety over the turbulent future. Where are things going? A bank just failed in California. Oh my goodness, what's happening? Stock market's down. You get the picture. The opposite side is trusting in God. Trusting in God. Yeah, all that stuff's happening, but I'm happy. That'd be a great testimony, wouldn't it? That's his desire for us. Trust me, I have your back. Don't regret the past. Marvel at the past. Marvel at what God did in the past, not where you and I have erred in our ways. And then be eager over the future's engagement with God and the works you'll be involved with. We have something to be eager about here at Bethesda. We have 10, soon to be 11 people coming that we're going to be able to embrace and hear their story. We saw their brother and sister here a month ago and had a chance to meet lovely, lovely people that are running from a terrible danger. So we have a great chance to walk into these works together. Thank you, Bethesda, for being so in involved and, and willing to do this together. Let's close in prayer. Lord, help us to trust you Help us to acknowledge your amazing works of the past and help us to look forward to the future, being able to work with you in the future. Give us resilience in this tough time. Let us encourage one another 
Let us love one another. Let us be people of mercy, grace, light, salt, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, love, and peace. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, people. Vulnerability is our lot in life. We are frail creatures. We will be walking in vulnerability this week and, frankly, every week. It is my prayer that for you and for me, that when we're feeling vulnerable, we can trust in the Lord. He is worthy of our trust. And that through our trust in the Lord, our spirits can, even though we're in vulnerable circumstances, say, I am happy. I am blessed. Let's get tattoos that say blessed. No, that's bad. <laughs> that we are blessed people. We are blessed. And I pray that as we walk forward, we will not rely on our own strength, on our own, our own abilities, on pride, any false gods. We will acknowledge who is our God and be able to walk together despite these circumstances. Let's go into that strength this week. Amen and amen. Go and trust. <laughs>